programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in Logan. Open for breakfast Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and Saturdays at 8 a.m., offering a selection of French pastries and a variety of sweet and savory menu items. Details at crumbbrothers.com. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Mining is part of Utah's history and culture. Mining resources and safety are key themes in the West and indeed around the world. The Morning Edition Book Club has selected for January Hector Tobar's Deep Down Dark, the untold stories of 33 men buried in a Chilean mine and the miracle that set them free. The book addresses faith, safety, economics, technology, and the survival of humanity under difficult circumstances. Well, we here at Utah Public Radio are beginning the UPR chapter of the Morning Edition Book Club. We invite you to join us in reading and discussing each month's book. You can find out more information at our website, upr.org. So we hope you've been reading along with us, Deep Down Dark. We're going to discuss it today along with the related uh, issues of mining. And uh, you can join the conversation here at upraxcess at gmail.com. That's our email. You can call us at 1-800-826-1495. We're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. You can join us on Facebook and Pinterest as well. I'm joined by our uh, station manager, uh, Peg Arnold. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Um, And um, I'm happy to be here. You know, this is a great idea that Morning Edition has started a book club. Um, For years, I have been watching their book lists um, that they've published online and on air. They give us recommendations for vacation reads and holiday gifts. And um, now they call it the concierge. Um, So this is the first time that Morning Edition has started out with this with this on-air book club. What a fascinating idea. And um, we're hoping today to collect your perspective um, to bring that Utah ideas, bring the Utah ideas to the morning edition um, discussion that will happen later this week, or or it's the 20th. The 20th, uh, Yeah, right. the 20th. The 20th, um, when you tune into Morning Edition here on UPR, you'll hear um, Hector Tobar will be the guest, and we can compile questions and send those to Morning Edition and have some of those heard on the national level, too. And I believe we are the first chapter, the first local chapter, <laughs> yeah. right? And we're the charter we've, chapter. We're charter chapter. We, we've heard back from uh, from Morning Edition. I'm joined also by April Ashland, who is our web and uh, social media manager. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. And you have, you talked recently with a uh, Utah mining expert. And so later in the program, we'll hear portions of your conversation with uh, Don Weiniger. Yes, we will. And he's very interesting. So I'm excited to share that. So let's start with... Deep Down Dark. I think uh, most of us remember this. We're glued to the television. Peg, you told me you were especially glued. I was. Uh, <laughs> these were uh, 33 miners in Chile uh, trapped in, uh, you know, deep down dark. Right. Underground. And, and, and the, the miracle that, you know, a lot of these don't end this way. But but thankfully they were they were all brought up. But but uh, worldwide, I think we're all glued to this. Right, and those of us in news are drawn to stories that are happening in the news. But this one had particular interest, and I think um, it 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 drew us in because it was so compelling. It was unprecedented. Um, these fo- these miners were so deep in the ground and and no way out. And how were we going to solve this? Um, us meaning the community, the world, and and the. International resources and the international cooperation that came together to make this happen, um, the technological innovation that had to happen mm-hmm. to to save these um, miners was fascinating. Um, certainly, we always 
you know, dr- are drawn to those compelling pieces. But this this was so innovative that I think it stands alone um, as as a teacher of of industry. And it, this it, it just uh, struck me. And I was watching uh, some clips again. They had it on PBS for some something else. Um, it, it, this kind of this remote area, sort of you know barren, Very. and it, like a lot of mining areas are. Um, and that's usually how it operates, right? And, right? and then this happened, and the world came, and you have cameras, and the president of Chile is there, and you know the the whole thing. One of the first, you, you talked about innovation. One of the first things they had to do is is how do we get uh, food? Right. You know, we find them, then we, we 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 can't quite rescue them yet. But how do we? How do we even find them? How do we even find them? Yeah. Um, and so they would take drills and take a a best guess at it, stabbing through the mountain, trying to find a breakthrough point. They didn't even for sure know where they were or how, um, I understand that some of the mapping and some of the the um, resources that you might use for that were outdated and they, they weren't even sure how many people were in there, where they were, if they were together, if they were all right, if they were alive. Uh, gee, there it is. There yeah. it is. There's your story, and um, trying to to find the place where the uh, where the miners were within the mountain was a fascinating um, technological exploration right there. And here in Utah, we're unfortunately we're all too familiar with with mining disasters, usually that end badly. Uh, just a few years ago, Crandall Canyon mine, where. Uh, Several miners died, and then the rescuers, uh, several of the rescuers who were going in, mm. died when there was another collapse. Uh, in the 1980s, the Wilberg mine, and uh, I think some 20, 20-odd 20 miners uh, died there. A- and it's, it's a horrible way to go often. You know, there could be a fire, flash fire. Sometimes the air is sucked out of the, the shaft. Sometimes gas. It's, uh, it's a very dangerous occupation. Very dangerous. And... Um, some of the things that impressed me in this read were was this idea of this um, this perpetual concern for additional damage. In other words, waiting the mountain is rumbling, water is um, um, running through their area, and they hear all these um, precursors to more collapse, to more damage, and um, it. And, and being in there and stuck in there and not being able to respond to that, um, that has a chilling effect on even a reader, let alone um, those of us that have not been in mines. You know, we, we try to think about what that might be like. Yeah. Uh, April, let's uh, bring you in. Um, I want to turn to the Morning Edition, uh, uh, what are they calling it, the, uh, the, the Book Club Guide. Yes, let's look at that. And uh, if you go to, to the Morning Edition, uh, I just Google Deep Down Dark and NPR took me to this Morning Edition, uh, and, and they have uh, have this attractive guide that uh, you can print out and then uh, fold up, trifold, and, and it becomes a bookmark. <laughs> That's kind of a nice idea. It is. Um, so I want to ask you, April, the, the first question there. What surprised you most reading the, the book? What surprised me most was the broad scope that this story took. So um, for me, something that really stuck out to me was the spiritual aspects. You know, they have these gatherings at one point where one person says, we need to pray. And then all 33 of the men every day for weeks get together to pray. And, you know, there's this one quote. There's this one quote. It's really powerful. And um, it says... 
let me look at it. Sorry. Um, so what it says is the the man who they have decided to pray for them says, we aren't the best men, but Lord, have pity on us. Henriquez begins. It's a simple statement, but it strikes several of the men hard. So then um, Tobar goes on to explain, you know, why these men feel so badly when they say that, you know, if they're cheating on their wives or, you know, several of them have mistresses or they haven't been as kind to their wives as they wanted to be. And and they're really pervasively spiritual moments in here. You know, there's one moment where one of the characters, um, Mario, comes face to face, he feels, with the devil down in the mine. Um, you know, he's preaching, he's talking, and he feels this um, breath on the back of his neck. And he turns around and there's no one there, but he says he senses the devil. Mm. So it's really interesting how down there things are very, I would say, base, but very black and white. Things are good or things are bad. And you're, you're sitting down there in the darkness, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're in the, you know, you're in the belly of the earth. I, I don't know if I could be a miner because I don't, you know, leave alone disaster, just going to work. Right. It would scare me to death, you know, the claustrophobia and everything. Then you'd always have that, you know, kind of the hair on the back of your neck, wouldn't you? Well, what if something happens? They talk about the physical, um, the environment and what challenges it places on these men physically when it's 122 degrees Celsius and humidity is 95%. And then you add total darkness to that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's there's an, what surprised me most was, what that constant darkness will do to your body. I mean, how that affects you physically. So um, there's a there's a point in here when before um, the breakthrough, the drill breakthrough of locating the men within the tunnels. Um, so that took 17 days. Um, at that point, they didn't have water. They didn't have access to food. They're basically starving. Um, and with that, um, there's there's coal and soot and sweat, everything building up on their skin. Well, after they break through and they start um, uh, dispensing food and medicine, water and things through through the tunnel while they're trying to build a carve a bigger tunnel to remove the miners, um, now they have access to things and they can bathe. And what they learned was that once they washed all that protective, the, the natural protective oils off their skin, um, the the fungi in the mine that is is typical to to that environment was um, plaguing them. You know they they couldn't get it off. It was everywhere. It was on their skin. They were starting um, their skin was starting to deteriorate. Rate and they couldn't do a thing about it mm. really. So those kinds of pressures, things we can't even imagine. Um, I think those are pretty fascinating about this about this read. If you just joined us, we are inaugurating the UPR chapter of the Morning Edition Book Club. And this is new from NPR as well. They, they're just inaugurating the Morning Edition Book Club. I, so, I, I have wondered why this we didn't think of this sooner. You yeah, know? It's, it's a natural yeah. fit, isn't it? It is a natural fit with all the all the book recommendations and, and how we've uh, grown to trust NPR hosts and staff to um, – to screen new new releases and and tell us about what's great in in literature, yeah, it's a great fit. So so we're hoping to um, to hear you. You know, we want to engage you in this process too. We want to be able to present some ideas, questions for NPR, and um, have this UPR chapter be part of 
be part of the morning edition um, process. Yeah. So we'd love your response here. If uh, you have a, a question or a comment, we'll forward that question or comment on to to uh, NPR. We'll we'll address it here as well. Uh, the number is one 1-800-826-1495. Our email is upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Perhaps you have a mining experience. Mm-hmm. Very likely you have a minor or two in your genealogy. Uh, oh. Many of us do. I do. Okay. My ancestors on, uh, on the Williams side came over from Wales to work in the mines here in the U.S., and then they, you know, Continued their American journey. Nice. Um, so then perhaps you have experience with with a disaster or, or with a rescue. Um, we would love to hear from you uh, via phone to 1-800-826-1495. You can join us by email to upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Utah Public Radio. We're on Facebook and Pinterest as well. I have with me station manager Peg Arnold and uh, web and social media manager April uh, Ashland. So we're going to take a break here coming up. But uh, April, let, let's ask uh, you and Peg uh, this the second question here, which is on the Morning Edition Book Club Guide. And by the way, you can you can go to NPR for this, or we'll, we can link you over from upr.org. That'd be the place to go first, upr.org. So uh, how do archetypal and mythic themes shape this book about uh, real events? Any thoughts from Pegger? Oh, sure. Or April? Sure. Um, this is a Catholic um, location, right? So um, at one point, they lower the Virgin Mary into the mine um, with prayers um, for the Virgin to remove the obstacles that are keeping the miners in darkness. And um, this has... Uh, a, a few reactions. Some people, some of the miners are very engaged in this and they believe in the, in the divine influence. Um, others uh, disagree totally. They don't, they, they think of it more as superstitious and, or unuseful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then others are simply thinking, you know, they're non-believers and they, it doesn't make any difference. So it sparked debate. Um, it sparked, um, um, well, vi- varying opinions within the mining group. And so um, I think that it is a prominent feature in that culture and in the primary religion in that area and it's it's going to come into the it's going to come into the discussion. So um, that was one place that they um, that that some discord um, resulted. And I should mention, I didn't mention this uh, when I reintroduced our, our topic here. We are discussing Deep Down Dark, the book mm-hmm. by Hector Tobar, uh, who interviewed all the miners. Uh, he, he, uh, he's written a very uh, uh, insightful book about this history that I think we all, in a sense, lived through from uh, 2011. And by the way, uh, these books are being picked by prominent authors, and this one was picked by Ann Patchett, uh, who wrote yes. Belcanto and other wonderful books. Yeah. Uh, April, I wonder if you have uh, thoughts on that, this question or any of the other questions that uh, Marnie is putting forward. Yeah, I mean, they, um, going to the mythic, they talk about a little bit about, um, you know, what a minor stands for there. And they also talk about Greek mythology 
um, is a spot that I was just reading the other yesterday, I think, um, about the sky and how the star constellations um, are affecting the people down there. I can't find it because I don't have paper. But um, <laughs> so so it's really interesting to me how those all things those things all tie. You know, the Virgin Mary and her crying, and how the women are very. You know, they have a shrine for her, and and an artist makes one that is traveling around Chile at this time, and then arrives at the mine right at that time when they needed her. You know, and then and then that's when they break through is right after she leaves. So you know, it's very present there. The other thing is, um, it just it's so interesting to me, and I I want to talk about this about how he writes this because. You know, as a journalist, I'm a journalist, and interviewing people, you can write something as if you're there. And when you read this, it feels as if you are both in the camp with the the wives and the families and in the mine and with those people that are drilling those moments. And and that's, I think, something that's very powerful to me Mm. about the story. Yeah, I think so, too. And the prologue to this book is um, a narrative um, it, it's very contextual. Okay, so it talks about the fl- the flora, the fauna, um, the geography, um, and it's a narrative built um, around Darwin. And it ultimately tells us that um, this is very near the Galapagos Islands where, where Darwin will um, put forth his theory of nat- natural selection. And it's an extensive um, prologue. And it, it, it's, it sets a stage, so that's the framework. So what does that have to do with the rest of the book? Um, Tobar never comes back to that topic, but he does set um, a sense of place, a set, sense of context, and uh, helps you feel what, what April was saying, like you're really there. This is historically what happened here. This is what the region looks like. This is what was happening 100 years ago. Um, so I, I think that Tobar is very skilled at um, putting this story in context. And some of the best stories um, we can read are the ones that take us somewhere. Yeah, certainly true. Uh, and the human element, just uh, that's what jumps out at me. You know, mm-hmm. we, we saw the images on television. Now we get to learn who these miners are. Right. And what actually happened. Down there, well, you know, well, everybody, because the story was up above, right? Uh, we want to rescue these people. Um, and and le- meeting meeting these miners is, is a wonderful thing as well. Uh, we'll talk more about Deep Down Dark, Hector Tobar's uh, book about the Chilean mine rescue from uh, 2011. It's the morning edition book club book for January. We're inaugurating the Utah UP, UPR chapter of the morning edition book club. And I have with me station manager Peg Arnold and uh, social media and web manager April Ashland. A brief break next, and we'll be back talking about Deep Down Dark, and we'll fold in uh, some very interesting uh, thoughts from Don Weiniger, who's a history of mining, a historian of mining in Utah, and April talked with him recently. More following break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Southern Utah Art Guild, Arts to Zion, Art and Studio Tour, January 15th through 19th, including a silent auction of artwork created by this year's artists at the historic St. George Courthouse in downtown St. George. Details at artstozion.com. This is Randy Watts bringing more to life. 
Will you be a caregiver? For the first time, adult couples have more parents than children. How do you prepare for this new role? Communication is key to success in any job. The role of a caretaker is no exception. Begin with your parents' wishes. Talk to them about personal goals, housing, legal, financial, and medical decisions. Some of these conversations may be easy. Some will be difficult. Start the conversation now to bring more to their lives. Support for bringing more to life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation in Logan, advancing wellness, independence, dignity, and comfort. Information at sunshineterrace.com. We're discussing mining on Access Utah today. Mining is part of Utah's history and culture. We're all interested in mining resources and safety, and uh, sometimes that comes into bold relief, as it did in 2011, when 33 miners were trapped deep in the earth in Chile. Many of us were glued to the television late into the night until that last miner came out. In fact, this unfolded over many days. Um, human drama here and many other issues attached, and a book is now out, a very good book, Ektar Tobar's Deep Down Dark, The Untold Stories of 33 Men Buried in a Chilean Mine and the Miracle that Set Them Free. It addresses faith, safety, economics, technology, survival of humanity under difficult circumstances. Well, Morning Edition has selected this book for their uh, January uh, book club. Uh, is this the inaugural book, Peg? It is. It so is. So th- this is the first book. Uh, Morning Edition is just starting this up, and we, we've jumped right on the, that bandwagon. We formed a UPR chapter. Right. The they aired it on December 31st, and over the that was over the holiday break, and I heard it, and I said, oh, we need to be in this. We want to be in this. We want to hear what Utah thinks right. uh, about these books, and, and so go ahead, Tom. So here's the way you can join us. We'd love to have you join us with your uh, question or comment. Maybe you have some mining in your family history. I would love to hear your stories. Perhaps you're a miner. We'd really love to hear from you. Uh, that occupation and, and your experiences. We've had several mining disasters in Utah, unfortunately, as, as recently as just a few years ago with the Crandall Canyon uh, disaster. Wilberg before that, and you go back to Schofield. Uh, so these are right. these are disasters that happened right here in Utah. This story in Chile has a happy ending, so thankfully so. Um, and, and a lot of drama connected with it. And so uh, nationwide, we've been discussing this book, and uh, here at Utah Public Radio, we're discussing it. This will be a monthly uh, feature. We'll, uh, we'll piggyback on Morning Edition. We'll discuss the book. We'll invite you to discuss the book with us, and we'll come on with uh, Access Utah uh, each month. And then we will share your comments, your questions, um, with Morning Edition to ask to the uh, – and they will be asking the authors. So. Right. Um, and uh, they're excited. We've, yes, heard, we've yeah. heard from them. We've heard from NPR. They like this idea. They did, and they promoted it among other stations. So I think it's a, it's an idea that can can maybe run through the public radio system. So we have a little bit of pride uh, factor here. We we want to come through as a UPR and excitement uh, audience, which, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, so we, we want to forward yeah. some questions to them. So we'd love to get some questions here. And here's how you can join us. Uh, you can join us on Twitter. Uh, at Utah Public Radio, uh, our Facebook or Pinterest pages. Uh, you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, or you could call us at 1-800-826-1495. And as a part of this, 
uh, April Ashland, our uh, social media and web manager, uh, talked recently with a historian of mining in Utah, Don Weiniger. Tell me about him. So as I was looking for information about mining on our website, we've had mining pictures, pictures inside the mines of Utah, and I we wanted to kind of teach a little bit about what our history has been. And so I was stumbled across this man. His name is Don Weinegar, and he lives in the Salt Lake area. And so he has this website called Treasure House Relics Project. And um, he, as a young man, is 16 years old, got interested in mining from two experiences he had. One, he had a family history in mining. And so we talked a little bit about his ancestors that were involved in mining. The first mining experience I had was family folklore. Growing up in Tooele, which is where I was born and raised, there was the family story. My Kirk family, the Kirk side of the family, my mother's side of the family, were original settlers to Tooele. And one of my ancestors, uh, there was Joseph and then there was James. Joseph, as a young child or young boy, you know, 10, 11, was hired by the miners. This was just as it was booming. Uh, to sleep on the ore wagons so that none of the ore would be stolen and he could sound an alarm. He had a tin can or something that he would use to sound an alarm. And it just progressed from there. Eventually, he began driving the ore wagons, bringing the the different types of minerals down out of Jacob City, the mines of of Jacob City, Stockton, some of them up in Ophir, depending on what the route was. He eventually owned his own freighting company and in time bought into the mines and eventually became owner of a couple of the different properties in Jacob City and the surrounding Rush Valley Mining District. So that's what Don Weiniger talking about his experiences. He was around mining as a young man. That's quite the image, isn't it? You're sleeping on the ore wagon. Yeah, with a tin can. So yeah. if somebody comes up to steal ore, you just bang it around and yeah. make a lot of noise. How old do you think he was at that point? He was pretty fairly young. Um, yeah, when he heard the story or when the... When he was sleeping on the ore wagon. The ore wagon was pro- He said he was about nine, maybe wow. eight or nine. So from that point, he then goes on um, and becomes this mining person in life. He owns part of the mines. And so that was kind of his first experience with thinking about mining. And then when he was 16... L- let me, let me pause, yeah. Sorry, let me pause you there and uh, talk about this striking image that you found, April, we put on our website. Oh. It's it's yeah. it's in part heartbreaking, mm-hmm. and and just so interesting. If you go to upr.org, I'm not sure if it's still up there. It's this little guy. He's I don't know. He's maybe nine years old, or you know, he's he and he has a pickaxe, mm-hmm. and the pickaxe is as big as he is. Right, yeah. bigger almost. Yeah. Um, and I think the the arresting part of this is this is not theoretical. No. This is an actual historical photo, and there are children, I think, probably today who work in the mines. And and this boy was sent in, um, I got this from the Utah State Historical Society, and this boy was sent in to make sure that the air was breathable so that the miners wouldn't die. Um, he would clear some of the rubble that would move and make sure the entryways were clear. So this was this nine-year-old boy going in and doing kind of dangerous things. Um, so it's interesting that there is such a different culture there. I mean, kids weren't really kids when it came to mining towns yeah. that I've th- seen. This was in Finland, was it? 
Well, this was this a, a young Finland boy, but he was in Utah. Oh, this, this was, was in Utah. Utah this is Utah. Utah. Wow, that brings it home, doesn't it? Utah yeah. Historical yeah. Society. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, boy. Yeah. So, you know, now we have laws outlawing that, but uh, in the U.S., mm-hmm. but I'm sure there are other yeah. areas where you still have uh, child labor in the mines in that in that dangerous uh, circumstance. Anyway, so you can still find that on our Facebook page. I think. Yep, and it's up it's up on our Facebook page. I'll pin it to the top right now. Okay. Um, so if you go, you can see it right now. So anyway, I, I paused you there to continue with Don Weiniger's story. So Don, when he was 16, he went to um, Eureka with his family. His parents were thinking about buying a house there as a summer vacation home. Um, it wasn't too far from Tooele where he lived, but he went there and um, he told me about when the person who was showing him the Fitch homes, which were mining homes at the time, they open up one of the windows and he looks out and he sees this gorgeous mining structure. You know, it's partially falling apart. It's um, all wood. And and they didn't end up buying the homes, but they did get the guy who showed them the homes to take them around that mining structure. And so that kind of was the moment that it really sparked in him. He um, created this model, one first place at the Utah State Fair if you, in 94. So um, he toured around there. You could see the papers that were lying there still, you know, all of these things. They didn't go into the mine because that's very dangerous. Um, but he did tour around that facility. And so f- from then on, he started to document all of these places in Utah. He takes photographs. He takes, you know, he gets out to these places that, you know, his wife looked at him and he was like, she was like, I have no idea how we get out there sometimes. And, you know, they laughed. But, and so then he started collecting a lot of these things. So he's been collecting mine paraphernalia, you know, papers, stock certificates, porcelain dolls from mining sites, coins, bottles, letterheads for cities that don't exist anymore. You know, Jacob City and, you know, those kind of places. They, they no longer exist in Utah but he has stuff from when they did. You know, so he has this huge collection, and he started putting it online, which is how I stumbled across mm-hmm. it. That brings up another. Uh, the, often you uh, you find ghost towns. Yes. They're often connected with mining, right? Right. The, the mine plays out, right. the, the town dies. Yeah, and, and that's what happened in Chile, too. Yeah. No one will ever go into that mine again. Right. Right. So, so this essentially, that's um, sort of a ghostly place. Right. right. It's, and that's part of the culture, too, isn't it? I mean, they talk about spirits in the book. They talk about demons, um, a fight with the devil. It does have a, a, a spiritual aspect. Um, they think of, uh, they, they talked in, in Deep Dark Down about um, the mountain being, um, well, a person, literally, that you're going into that person. Life. And that there is a will about the mountain as to what will happen and what, what won't happen. Um, so, yeah, all of that is part of mining, and I think that that is um, universal. It's not just specific to one mine, but there's a mining um, culture and uh, sensibilities of thought that they, they really... Um, come to understand things differently. Use the word universal, uh, so that caused me to skip to question number five on the Morning Mission oh, Book yeah. Club. <laughs> you jumped B- book ahead. Club, uh, so we'll skip the other two and come back to them. Uh, by the way, you can find this on uh, the NPR site. You can go to upr.org. We'll link you over. Uh, so why did this story capture global attention? It certainly did. Why do you think it did? Well, it's compelling. You know, you have 33 men and they're trying desperately to reach them and then they find them and they're hammering on the drill bit and and just that 
those moments and everyone in Chile is hoping and then they're reaching out to people across the world. So not only is it compelling, but you have pieces of all of the world coming together in this little town in Chile, in Copiapo, and working to get these miners out. So you have a little bit from NASA in the United States and you have people from NASA going there. You have people, um, bits and pieces from Italy, from around the world going and all of this intellectual manpower to one tiny place. So everyone, of course, is going to be interested in, okay, what exactly is going on here? You know, they talk about the newspapers and how these people, and then they're talking about the people and their lives and interviewing their, you know, it's such a human element. I mean, yeah, that's certainly it, true. It's very human. Yeah, I think I think there's some unprecedented pieces of this that that continue to draw me, and that um, we're talking what are we 700 meters underground? Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of time that the that the miners were isolated, um, whether or not they'd still be alive, those and the technology that had to come together to build new solutions for this um, the 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 seriousness of this of this challenge. Yeah. I wonder, a question occurs to me, based on your experience, Peg, you were glued to this, you know, the whole time, and I think stayed to the last minor, <laughs> from the television the last minor came out, right? Past that, right? Yeah. We want to hear the after story, too. So in, in my household, um, I guess once I knew that they were coming up, I went to bed. You did? You but went to bed? I did. But my wife stayed up until the very last minor. Well, wow. uh, came out. I don't know what that says about me about her. <laughs> you, maybe do I have less empathy? I don't know. Or maybe you thought that the problem was solved. M- maybe so. I don't know that. Maybe so. Um, I think what is interesting about this book, you know, this um, that that Hector Tobar is able to give us a little follow up on on the miners and and what happened to them after. So there was celebrity, there was fame, there was wealth. Um, those um, factors all played in, and um, how individuals responded to those differently. You yeah. know how they affected their lives um, for the future. How some miners went back to mining. Mm-hmm. How some um, um, weren't even comfortable in a room with a closed door. Um, that the 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 impact that this had on their psyches, on their um, perceptions of the world. It's fast. It's a fascinating read in that in that way, um, and something we. We didn't get Tom when we yeah. uh, when yeah. we went to bed. Right. I guess <laughs> or, so. Yes. Or when yeah. or or when the cameras left. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about this camp that built out and and the international media attention, and it was a media blitz. I mean, um, and and it was kind of a um, a whirlwind media event, um, celebrity driven on the surface at the same time um, the miners are underneath and and they still don't know if they can get out you know mm-hmm. just that juxtaposition of of worlds mm-hmm. right there in one little place you know yeah. so I think those are compelling themes in the story and how um, Hector is able to bring us um, to a better understanding of the individuals and their their uh, a follow-up to their stories yeah uh, April and we all work in media, and I, I I've thought about a lot about this this week. We're talking. We began the week talking about Ebola, and uh, I was surprised. Maybe I shouldn't have been. I was surprised when we talked to Ann Norman, um, who works in Sierra Leone, 
that in some areas the cases are still growing. The crisis, Ebola crisis, is still going strong in some areas of Sierra Leone. Overall, it has receded. Therefore, after a while, the media leaves. Right. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. at least you don't hear as much about it. Right. Therefore, I, as a consumer of media, I suppose, don't think about it as much. And and inside, and it's interesting here in Chile. This is a worldwide phenomenon. But uh, almost as soon as the last miner comes out, it ceases to be worldwide. It's Imagine done. these these miners go on to be celebrities for a while in in Chile. Yeah. Then that probably dies down as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting thing. As a journalist, I. I am driven very much by news, newsliness, um, newsworthiness. And so is it timely? Is it? And once you complete a topic or once you get to the point where, you know, with Ebola, okay, are we tired of hearing about it? Is, is it affecting us? How much is it affecting us? And once you hit that point where it's no longer immediately affecting your audience, you kind of move on. And, and that's kind of sad. Sometimes yeah. there are so many more stories, you know, follow ups, things like that. But really, no media person can ever do any situation justice, I don't think, um, in, in what that effect is. You know, even reading about this, I've had dreams where I'm in a mine and it's really disturbing because they talk about this deep torment that's in these men. You know, you're surrounded by all of this rumbling. No person can really get that story except, you know, Hector. And so he did. And so the miners agreed that he would be the one to tell their story. But a- as a media person, I understand that. I I cannot follow one thing forever. Mm. And and that's hard for me. Hard for me as a person. Yeah. But uh, not only as media, I guess just as a person, you get, uh, mm-hmm. I guess there's good and bad to that. Like you said, yeah. I, I feel bad about that, that I, yeah. You know, a little bit of guilt that I wasn't continuing to follow the Ebola story and, you know, trying to do what I could. But uh, then something else happens and you move on. Right, right. In our 24-hour media news cycle, um, there's a lot that comes next, isn't there? Mm -hmm. I thought it was um, another interesting piece about this book is that the miners decided that they would have a a pact of silence, that it was their story, that it was their, um, their story, their community story of the mining community. It wasn't about an individual, and it wasn't about what other people thought outside of outside of their experience. And so they agreed, and this was a challenging um, uh, piece of agreement. Uh, not everybody was on board. Um, some thought that they could do um, some individual, um, re, uh, re, well, they could make their own story, you know, that they could take it on an individual basis and, and, and sell it to the world. Um, but they ultimately agreed to do it as a collective, um, that it belonged to everybody, that they could share um, in in the resources that came from that. And um, But that was a complex mm-hmm. piece, uh, piece of activity. Uh, April, did you? Well, and I have a quote. There's this interesting part when they all agreed that this one man who had some paper that he was using is going to be their chronicler. Can I, can I read that? Yes. Sure, sure. Yeah, so it says, Victor, whose education ended when he got kicked out of school in the fifth grade for fighting, never imagined that putting words to paper could make him feel better about himself or that he would one day think of himself as a writer. He's never, never traveled beyond the desert cities and towns around Copiapo, but underground he's become the chronicler of a story that will one day circle the world. So they've chosen to use him and 
this diary that he's keeping to then t- be that basis for telling their story. We're going to take a break. I, I just want to conclude this this thought. In today's world, they could have individually profited, right? It, it's sure. it's all the more extraordinary that they decided to cooperate in this way. Right. Okay. I agree. I agree. They could have. Um, and, but this book is that culmination of their collective experience. And I think that, um, you know, that it touches on so many things that it's certainly, um, I see the value in their thinking, you know, mm-hmm. that, yeah. that, that, that they approach it as a group. It's yeah. inspirational. Yeah. It certainly is. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's take another break. Uh, we're talking about Deep Down Dark, Hector Tobar's book about the uh, Chilean mine rescue. And it's the morning edition uh, uh, book for the month uh, for, for their book club. We are inaugurating a UPR chapter of the morning edition book club. Go to upr.org for more details. You can reach us here. We'd love to get your uh, question or comment through to uh, NPR uh, for when they interview Hector Tobar on January 20th in morning edition. And your comments right here will respond to them as a community here in Utah. 1-800-826-1495, upraxcess at gmail.com, or on Twitter at Utah Public Radio, on Facebook and Pinterest as well. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Center for the Arts. Presenting stand-up comedian and regular panelist on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Paula Poundstone. Saturday, January 17th at 7.30 p.m. in the Ellen Eccles Theater. Information at cachearts.org or 435-752-0026. For Southeast Alaska, wild salmon drive the economy. If we give these guys fresh water and a good habitat to spawn in. These fish come back year after year after year, and we can keep making money on them. The locals fear that plans for gold and copper mines next door in Canada could threaten that resource. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Donate your car to Utah Public Radio through January 15th and you'll receive a $50 gas card. Donating is easy. Call 877-877-7501 or donate securely online. Just go to upr.org and look under the support tab. Whether it's the car your kids drove in high school or a classic car you no longer need, after it's sold, we'll send you a $50 gas card. Call 877-877-7501 or donate at upr.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We have a brief final segment. I'm joined by station manager Peg Arnold and by uh, social media and web manager April Ashland. We are inaugurating the UPR chapter of the Morning Edition Book Club. The book we're discussing nationwide and here as well is Ektar Tobar's Deep Down Dark. He tells the story of the miraculous rescue of uh, 33 men buried in a Chilean mine. Many issues uh, to talk about. We talked about some of those. Mining, of course, is a part of Utah's history and culture. We want to know what you think, and you can join us at 1-800-826-1495. Our email is upraxcess at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at Utah Public Radio, and we're on Facebook and uh, Pinterest as well. So, April, we want to uh, hear uh, one more clip from uh, Don Wendiger, who is a, an expert in mining history here in Utah. You talked with him recently. Uh, so tell us about this, and we'll be hearing the importance of mining. 
Okay, so when I talked to him, we talked a lot about a lot of things, um, including accidents in Utah's history, and and that's all on our website, so you can go and listen to all all of the things we talked about. But what what I found really interesting was at the end he talked about the importance of mining and why it's still important. You know, with a tr- something like this, you wonder, is it worth sending people into the earth when they die? And and he he really talked about the reason why we mine. And so if we could listen to that, that would be a good way. The importance of mining. And I think in in my response to you uh, in the paragraph, I said anyone who thinks that mining does not have an impact on the environment is a fool. But at the same time, anyone who thinks that we can't live without mining in our society is an idiot. It's a fact. There has to be a balance. One of your questions is said, you know, what industries are affected by mining? And my response is, what industries aren't? The microphones, this studio we're sitting in now, everything in this room, with the exception of the wood, came from mining of one sort or another. And it's, it's an integral part of our society. It's an integral part of our civilization. And there are those who would say, we don't need it. It should never have happened. It's a blight on our history. Well... It's a history that populated this part of the country west of the Mississippi in a time frame that otherwise would have taken many, many generations. It happened in three. It's what populated the West. It's what settled the West and created the United States as we know it to now, you know, as we know it today. And it is an important part. And I, I get frustrated sometimes with individuals who don't realize the history and the importance of mining. Um, we were we were snowshoeing or last, last winter, winter up uh, Little Cottonwood Canyon. And we were talking with someone else in a conversation. You know, someone else we'd met along the road, and they were frustrated. You know, they were talking. They were in a conversation. We joined it about how how mining had hurt the canyon and how it was so nice to not have anything like that. You know, around here spoiling the canyon. Well, they don't realize that almost every ski lift in the Wasatch, you know, in the, the different resorts in the Wasatch Front, the ski runs are named after the original mining claims that were there long before the ski industry ever was. The trails that they love to hike, all of these different things that they appreciate about the canyons now were put in place originally to service either the mining community or the logging community. Every road, every trail, all of those different things with some exceptions, were put in to service the mining industry. It's an ignorance that, you know, somehow mining was evil and nothing good ever came from it, but it's, it's not the case. And there has to be a balance. It's an important thing, and it, it's something that needs to be appreciated for what it was, even with all of the scars. There are blemishes. There are things that were a problem. And in some cases, still are a problem to this day. But you can't look at it with a prism of today's eye and put it as an effect. You know, you can't look at something 150 years ago and say, oh, how terrible is that? When at that time, it was the greatest thing going. Mm-hmm. You have to have a perspective. And so it's it's the importance of the industry even today in in Utah, the economy of Utah, the people that are employed and the different, oh, I won't even say it, trickle down. 
the economy of Kennecott, the economy of the coal mines, these different things, it trickles into the community in every way that you can possibly imagine. I have a love for the history, but I also can see the other side where there has been damage done and it has to be managed, but it should, you know, it, it should never be thought of as it cannot happen the end. It has to be stopped. It has to be managed properly. And it's, it's what drives our economy, and it's an important thing, it's, not only in history, but in present day. And it's a huge part of our history. It really bothers me when we go in and we take out, we take things down that are such an integral part of our, especially our Utah history. We were built on mining. If you, I mean, all you have to do is read early accounts of how even the early Mormon settlers were so affected by those people who were coming to go west to find gold. Well, guess what? Utah, or not Utah, but Salt Lake was the biggest way station between east and west besides Fort Bridger, which was nothing. So, I mean, the Mormons benefited tremendously from the mining industry just by the mere fact that people were going west to California to find gold until we actually found it here, too with Patrick Connor and all of his guys. So, I mean, it really built Utah's economy right from the very beginning. Brigham didn't really like it. No. But he sure made good money from it. So you can't separate the history away from how important it is to us even today. Yeah. We can't live, if you can't, if you can't grow it, you got to mine it. Bottom line. So there is Don Weiniger, uh, historian of mining in Utah, and uh, April, we heard from his wife. Yes, there as well. so she was up here, and she sat across from him, and, and li- she wanted to listen, but I, I talked her into talking as well a little bit, <laughs> um, because that's what I do. So so it was interesting to me to hear their their experiences, and you can hear more on our website, upr.org, um, and, and see some of those things, and there's a link to his site. Peg, interesting, uh, Don Weiniger was talking about... Uh, Putting this in context and uh, not rewriting history, not not whitewashing it. We you know we, we shouldn't take history out. Of, we shouldn't take mining out of our history. Right, and we can't eliminate it in the future too. Is is what I heard from him, and and I think some of those um, some of those realizations, some of those lessons are playing out in Chile too. Um, that 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 mining is integral to the economy. That it's essential. Um, in terms of the demands in in the world for the resources, so how do we manage it? Mm-hmm. And the management, um, you know, some parts of this book are explain some of the management things that can be done better. Right. I want to come back to an end with the with the human element, and it is so interesting to me in this book. And, and Peg, you pointed this out: the effects on these men. You mm-hmm. can only imagine. Um, but some of them went back to mines. And some of them can't have a closed door. It, it, it affected them differently. Some of them um, reached into themselves and found elements in their personality that they didn't even know they had. And um, uh, some of the wives said that they came home as different people. They went in one person and came out another. So, yeah, the the dramatic effects that this had on, on the people and not only um, the miners, their families, um, their futures. That is a fascinating portion of this book. Hmm. April, what do you, at, at the end of this, what do you take out of the... One thing is it's affected your dreams. Sounds like you have, <laughs> yes, you have mining dreams. That's that's pretty vivid. What what, what else? Um, I would say that this has affected the way you know. My dad's a geologist, so I grew up hiking and looking at rocks and seeing those things, and it was 
and for me, I think it has changed the way that I look at my surroundings. Um, I I had no idea the depth of Utah's mining history. I, you know, born it born and raised here, and um, the incredible fact that it's all around us. You know, there are mines in the Logan Canyon. There are mines in Salt Lake everywhere. Kennecott, you know, all of these things and. And I think the thing that I take away from this is that it's real, that it, it's not just a story and, and that this is something that happens. You know, even today, there are miners in Utah who were told right before Christmas that they won't have a job after March. You know, this is something that's real and it's present and, and is good to have in, in the back of our minds that this is happening. Uh, well, we'll uh, hope the discussion continues, and you can certainly join us at upr.org. Find out more about the UPR chapter of the Morning Edition Book Club. We'll be back next month with the next book, which I think has not been announced yet. I don't think it'll be announced until be very interesting. next week, so, so we have that to look forward to. In the meantime, we've enjoyed reading Deep Down Dark. Hope you have as well. Keep those comments coming yes. at uh, the usual uh, places on Twitter, at Utah Public Radio, on our uh, Facebook page, and on Pinterest. So we pin, um, we have a whole bookshelf, a virtual bookshelf on Pinterest, so you can find it there. Very good. Tomorrow, we have the sequel to the wonderful novel, The uh, Rosie Project. It's called The Rosie Effect. We'll see what Don Tillman's been up to. We'll be talking with Graham Simpson. Uh, we hope you join us uh, tomorrow. Thanks for joining us today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and doctors Cameron Peterson and Jonathan Swenson. Logan Regional Orthopedics, offering non-surgical treatments for pinched nerve pain, back and neck pain, and chronic problems such as tendinitis and arthritis. Helping athletes and older patients return to full function. 435-716-2800. And the Utah Humanities Council, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement in the Humanities, online at utahhumanities.org. Tchaikovsky wrote this in homage to his favorite composer, Mozart, with a blistering set of variations for cello and orchestra. Coming up, the young American cellist Joshua Roman in concert with the Bellingham Festival Orchestra in Washington State. I'm Fred Child. Join me for variations on a Rococo theme on the next Performance Today from APM. Wednesday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.